Good morning and welcome again to St. Paul's. Let's pray together. Loving God, strengthen our faith through these words and through the meditations of our hearts so that we may at last behold your glory face to face through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We do not lose heart. This is how the Apostle Paul opens the section of our reading that we just heard from Jared. And I find myself wondering how many people here and watching online feel disheartened this morning, or perhaps anxious, or discouraged, or overwhelmed, unsure of how to get through this stage, this phase, this place in your life. Maybe you're dealing with work stress, a difficult boss or colleagues, a job transition. You find yourself awake at night, tossing and turning. Maybe your kids are going through a tough time at school or in their personal lives, and you feel helpless to help them. Maybe you hold guilt from that. Maybe you're caring for aged parents, and the burden feels sometimes overwhelming. Maybe your own relationship is struggling or has failed, and you are walking through the long, messy process of healing and trying to find a path forward. Maybe you're aging yourself or dealing with illness and trying to figure out who you are as you slowly lose abilities that once came naturally. Maybe you're just graduating from high school or from college and beginning the messy process of figuring out what to do with your life, and the stress feels overwhelming. I've had the privilege of hearing some of your stories, and I know that these are just a few of the challenges that we face as we walk through life. And for those who don't find themselves in any of these situations this morning, who don't feel any stress, I am so glad that's awesome. But chances are you know somebody who is going through something like this. But we do not lose heart. We're almost at the end of our E100 preaching series and reading series. And next week, Bishop Kevin will wrap up the series with a look at the pass or a passage from the final book of the Bible, Revelation. But this week, we have the apostles' teachings. We have four key leaders. If you're reading through these readings this week, you'll come across letters from Peter, Paul, James, and John, four of the biggest leaders of the church, and a lot of core Christian doctrine. And today, we get this letter from Paul about some vital news of our hope in the midst of life's difficulties. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to the church in Corinth, and it comes in the middle of a passage that is about stress. A few verses earlier, Paul is saying, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul knows what it is like to face stress. Later on in 2 Corinthians, he lists many challenges that he's gone through. Imprisonment, beatings, shipwrecks, not one shipwreck, but three shipwrecks, one of them that left him adrift for a full night and day, danger of all kinds, hunger and thirst, 
sleeplessness, and believe it or not, work anxiety. I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches, he writes. Relatable? Now, the Corinthian church, a church he has wrestled with, argued with, sometimes been in conflict with, loved and pastored, is now going through their own affliction. And Pastor Paul has an important message for them, one that I think applies to us in our very different 21st century context as well. And that message is twofold, that nothing we are going through here is wasted, and that our afflictions will not last forever. Paul writes, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Nothing is wasted. The most amazing thing about the good news of the gospel is that everything that we go through here, including every affliction and every hard thing that we experience, can be transformed. According to what Paul is saying here, God is able to use everything in this life, no matter how painful, to prepare us for something so glorious we can't even imagine it. The Christian author C.S. Lewis has an image of this from his book, The Great Divorce, which is a fictional imagining of the afterlife and a book that I highly encourage you to read. This is what he says, and I ask your forgiveness for the gendered language. He was writing in a different time. This is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal, under, some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for this. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And of some sinful pleasure, they say, let me have but this, and I'll take the consequences. Little dreaming how damnation will spread back and back into their past and contaminate the pleasure of the sin. Both processes begin even before death. The good man's past begins to change so that his forgiven sins and his remembered sorrows take on the quality of heaven. The bad man's past already conforms to his badness, and is filled with only dreariness. And that is why the blessed will say, we have never lived anywhere except in heaven. And the lost, we were always in hell. And both will speak truly. Heaven working backwards, transforming our agony into glory. That's the first thing. The second half of Paul's message to the Corinthian church here is that suffering does not last forever. To live in this broken world means suffering, and we all know that. Paul's reminder is that it is temporary, and a day is coming when this temporary suffering will be swallowed up by life, because we are not created to be mortal, but eternal. There's a reason people don't like getting old. There's a reason we try and avoid death, and it's laid right out right here in this passage. God prepared us for this very thing, that the mortal might be swallowed up by life. Our longing to be free of aging, our groaning for something better, our longing for life itself is God-given, and it is something that God promises to satisfy in due time. 
And we are given a down payment of this promise in the Holy Spirit, which we will hear more about in a couple of weeks on Pentecost. So we are given these two encouragements in the face of suffering, that nothing we go through here, none of our afflictions are wasted, but can be used in God's merciful hand to prepare us for glory. And that this situation will not last forever because we are created for eternal life. But to believe all of this requires faith. And that is not easy because faith means it's not seen. A definition of faith from another letter in the New Testament, Hebrews, says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. This is what it means to believe in an invisible God, We walk by faith and not by sight. And this has been a constant call for God's people ever since an invisible God revealed himself to Abraham. And we've seen this all the way through the E100 series, right from Abraham's call to believe. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, spoke of the exodus. By faith, Moses left Egypt. By faith, these people passed through the Red Sea, and all of these, although they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. Each of them walked through life with the same struggles that face all of humanity, holding on to faith in an invisible God, and they kept the faith. From Hebrews again, therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let's run with perseverance this race set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary in your souls or lose heart. This is what we are invited into this morning, to join in this long line of people stretching back through time who have endured struggles and who have kept the faith. But it needs to be said, this is not easy. Holding on to belief in an invisible God is not easy for any single person on earth. Maybe you haven't even got there yet. Maybe you have no faith, and that's okay. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here this morning. Or maybe you used to be there and have seen your faith dwindle or even die, maybe for some very good reasons, or simply because you haven't nurtured it. And most likely, it has ebbed and flowed through time, wherever it is. The Gospel of Mark tells of the father of a little boy who needs healing. And this father comes to Jesus and says, can you do this if you can? And Jesus says, if I can? All things are possible to him who believes. And the father's reply is this, I believe, help my unbelief. 
and the little boy is healed. And that, I think, is the place that so many of us find ourselves in. I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus is ready to help us and longing for us to ask. And then to the disciples who said, Lord, increase our faith. They knew that they didn't have the kind of faith they wanted. And Jesus said, you know what? Faith the size of a mustard seed is enough. That's all it takes. So try planting that tiny seed of faith in God and watch as he helps you grow an eternal perspective. We do not lose heart. There will come a day when sorrow and suffering will cease, when we will get new bodies, when we'll get a heavenly dwelling, when we'll get mortality swallowed up by life. And who knows what all of this looks like? Who knows? I don't. But there's all kinds of imagery used in the Bible to give glimpses of what it might be like. And here's a verse that I really love from Revelation. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And then once more from Paul's passage today, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Whatever it looks like, we know that it is prepared by God for us, which means that it will be good. Sometimes we get a glimpse of that glory that is awaiting us as it peeks through from eternity to now. And I'll close with this little story. I knew a woman once from a different church, when I was at a different church. I met her when she was 100 years old. And she was in the third floor of a nursing home, right at the very back, in a dark room. And she had been there for years. And she had no legs. And you would think that walking into her room would be darkness and depression. She struggled with phantom pains for decades and often when I was right there with her. And yet, every time I walked into that room, I walked into a bit of glory. This woman had learned what it meant that her slight momentary affliction would work for her an eternal weight of glory. And she allowed that glory to shine through, even though she had no good reason to rejoice. I left that room rejoicing every single time. So, beloved, hold fast. Do not lose heart. Whatever your situation is, God knows it. God loves you. And God is preparing you for more joy than you can imagine. So keep the faith, knowing that one day all affliction will cease and that we will know glorious life. Amen. <laughs>